Oh, were you? Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that, weren't we? Yeah, I, I enjoy the show. It's, he uh, does things very straightforward. You know, he's not, he doesn't try to be like, um, you know, edgy or controversial or anything like that. But the content by, just by virtue of um, what it is, it ends up having that kind of, you know, it's like, well, why is nobody else saying this kind of thing, you know? Teaching, what he teaches. Yeah, but, but it's not, it shouldn't be controversial. He just walks through the text, right? Uh, the one thing that he does that is, well, it frankly wasn't even possible maybe 100 years ago, well, is to compare to uh, a lot of the extra-biblical sources. So, like, for example, um, actually, this will come, we'll talk about it today maybe. Um, like, if you want to understand what's happening in the Gospels, uh, it's actually worth reading the the intertestamental books that we talked about last time, right? So that we call it, Jerome called them the apocrypha, right? So they're um, the books that were written in between the the close of the of the old, of the scriptures and Jesus's birth. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. We'll, we'll come up with a few of them. There are the, let's see, like the epistle to Baruch. Um, Esther is sometimes included in that. Depends on who you, East or West. Um, parts, of, uh, parts of Daniel um, are only like in the, in, the, in the Greek Old Testament. So we don't have, it's not in the, in the Hebrew copies that we have today. Um, then then the, Ma- the, the book of the Maccabees. So like if... Right, well, the Maccabean Revolt was, I don't remember exactly, 200 years maybe before Jesus, 150 years, somewhere in there. Um, and so that helps to understand, like, when Pontius Pilate releases for them a prisoner, right, He offer, and he wants to offer to release Jesus, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'll just give him over to you. And they're like, no, we want Barabbas instead. Right. And, and John says that this is, he does this every, every Passover. And because, because they, the, <laughs> at least if you, according to the Maccabees, um, and that's verified by other sources. So these are real events. Um, but that that they would revolt every Passover. So there, yeah, and there'd be somebody come up, and they, he claimed to be the Messiah, and he'd come in, and they'd have, yeah. And Maccabean revolt was one of those, but there's many of them. So what, they, so what, the, what Herod would do is he would appease the crowd by releasing to them a prisoner so they wouldn't revolt at the Passover again. Before Jesus' birth. Yeah, and then obviously, or no, maybe, well, the Herod of, of Jesus, Herod and uh, Pilate at Jesus's uh, trial are different Herod than the one who right. he died in between. Right. But I think that's Agrippa the first. Yeah, there's there's Herod, then there's Herod Antipas, which is I think the one at Jesus' trial. There's Agrippa, and Agrippa the second. Anyway, and they're all but they're all related because it's incestuous. So the Herods. And, I don't know. Anyway, so like Agrippa II is like Agrippa the first son, but he's also Antipas's like uncle. It's like it's very confusing. <laughs> it's like, anyway, <clears throat> no, but so this is Michael Heiser does this, and so he reads extra biblical sources. So like like we were talking about last time, we talked about the crucifixion. Yeah. So it's worth reading Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, 
at the time of Jesus. It's worth reading Tacitus, who's a Roman historian. Right, right. But for some reason, um, there, there was, I don't, I don't know. Well, I think it's maybe that fundamentalist thing, tendency we talked about. It was kind of popular in the, in the Americas over the last hundred years where you just, um, it's like you can only understand the Bible from the Bible. But it's, it's frankly not possible. Like if you're going to read the New Testament, which is in Greek, you, you have to look up the words. Well, how are you going to know what that word means unless you go and read other things that are written in, the, in Greek around the same time or before? Right, and then you look and you look and say, well, okay, how is this word used elsewhere? Like, for example, I was doing some work today um, on the word pharmakia, from which we get like pharmacy. All right, so pharmakia is used um, in a couple of places. And we'll just do this because it's helpful for how we read the Bible, right? Which is what we're doing right now, right? Because it's how we read the Bible affects everything else we do as a church. Absolutely. Right. 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 But I mean, everything we do, our liturgy, um, the sacraments, um, what we think about like Christian love and about, you know, just the whole nature of the church is all grounded upon what Jesus said. So it really, but how you read the Bible can affect then how you do those things. Right, right, right. So uh, let's come back to that. Let me, oh, I got to put it up. I'm going to put it up on the screen, what I have on my screen here. All right, so there you got that. But I'm going to go to, oh, what we were just talking about, right? Galatians 5, verse 20. All right, so this is this famous list. This is Paul, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a famous list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, uh, which are, so the flesh is, it's not just Paul's term, but it's the Bible's term for um, man. not man as it's in its totality, but the sinful nature. Okay. Yeah. Specifically, the sinful nature is the flesh. And the spirit is the spirit given to you in baptism is the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is opposed to the flesh, which is, that's Galatians. Anyway, so the works of the flesh are evident. So, so you have flesh. How do you know that? Here's the list. All right. We've got adultery. Uh-huh. So sixth commandment, fornication, also sixth commandment, uncleanness, which is a who knows what that means. So you can see what I've got on my screen here is you, I've got on the right hand column, I've got the Greek of the same thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, in parallel. So like, for example, you're saying, well, what is, what is this uncleanness? All right. Yeah. I mean, fornication is pretty cool because that's a word that we actually know. It's right here, which is pornea, from which you get like pornography, right? Right. So the next one is uncleanness. Right. So that's akatharsia. Excuse me. I don't have to pronounce Greek out loud very often. Let me see. Um, It's saying impurity. So this is like ritual uncleanness. Right. It's the kind of thing. It'd be like shame. The things that would cause you shame. Make sense. All right. Anyway. So then you just. So that's something that you could do. And you're working through this. So we had. What do we have? Uncleanness. Lewdness. This is New King James, which is, I like the old language. Yeah, well, sometimes. Anyway, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. It's always fun to read this in church. Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Thankfully, this list doesn't have the orgies in it because I don't always, I don't like to have to explain that to the children. But <laughs> no, I don't. Anyway, so uh, but the word here that's interesting is sorcery. All right, so that's what we were just talking about. So it's translated sorcery, but it's actually um, on 
I could show you on the right, but I just highlighted it. It's pharmakeia, all right, which is actually, if, if we look at Plato, for example, right here, you see P-L-A-T? So Plato, according to Plato's usage, it, which is the use of drugs, potions, or spells. Ah, uh, yeah, well, that's Hebrew, but that's the way the Hebrew, or the Greek Old Testament uses it. That's right. It's a different word in, in Hebrew, but same idea. Poisoning, so witchcraft, that's in the Latin, right? And then Aristotle uses it as remedy or cure, right? Which is kind of how we use pharmacy today, right? As a remedy or a cure. So, so this is like, um, what do you call it? Like old witchy medicine? You know, like plant medicine, you know? So, what, so there, if you do a, a lot more study on this, there's basically four uses of it. Um, I can't remember them all, but like one is like, um, like when you have to take, take something so that you throw up, like if you get poisoned, then you need to just expel everything, right? So you have that. Um, so that's the one where you vomit. They're also the one where you expel it out the other end, so like a laxative, right? But this was considered like witchcraft, that right. you would take this potion and then it would make you throw up or it would make you... Uh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, but the third, in, in the dictionaries, like the third use is an abortifacient. So it causes you to expel the child. Right. Yeah. And that's how, that's how it's actually being used here. It's not translated that way. It's translated as sorcery. But it's actually abortions. Right. Abortion-causing drugs. That's what it is. Because if you look at uh, where Paul is, the context, and then Paul, Paul's use of the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, whether it's like Isaiah 47 is a place where it uses, in the, in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the same word, and it's referring to, to uh, uh, women not carrying their children and that, how abhorrent this is to God. Okay. Yeah, but here they're like, well, you know, it's, it's just sorcery, it's witchcraft. But no, it's, it's related to the use of drugs or potions to poison or to do these expelling things. That's the fourth usage of poison, actually. Which is funny because we use we think drugs are always good for us and sometimes they're poison. But that's why so you read the Bible and you're like, hmm, well, what is the sorcery that it's talking about? Well, that's something that you might want to actually dig into because what does it end up doing for the Christian? It actually informs the Christian for their life, right? This is the list of the, the of the um, the works of the flesh, which are opposed to the works of the spirit. So so these are the things to avoid or that are prohibited or whatever you want to say, right? And, and it's really just an expansion on the commandments, but like, rather than just the, the general prohibition, you shall not murder, here's all the specifics, or you shall not commit adultery. Now here's some specifics, what is adultery, right? Which Luther does in the catechism, right? He does the same thing in the catechism. He'll list like, you know, sexual impurity and all sorts of things, fornication. He lists those things just straight out of Paul as being, belonging to the sixth commandment. All right, so why were we talking about this? Oh, we're just talking about words and meanings. And yeah, and that's what you need to do. Like, it's how did Plato use the term? Um, because that can give you a good use, a good, well, Plato wrote ethics for one thing in this case, right? But also, like, um, it just tells you the common understanding of the term, even though Plato is quite a few hundred years before, and um, any language is developing. And then, like today, woman doesn't mean the same thing it did last year. <laughs> that's a joke. Or uh, what was the other thing that they changed? What were the things that changing the definition? Oh, you know, oh. They, changed, they changed recently. I noticed on the M. Lawson Miller's properties of the real mm, Yeah, yeah. And you should check master bath, master bedroom. Oh yeah, you can't use master anymore. No. no it's primary bedroom, primary bath. 
Yeah, yeah, because of the it's it's that's that's a that's an indication of the that the sixteen nineteen project is correct that slavery is the foundation of our country, not First Amendment freedom. That's the premise of the sixteen nineteen project. Nicole Hannah Jones, it's it it it's kind of been the Trojan horse to bring in this conversation about like we need to be anti racist and Ibram X Kennedy and that whole political I mean it's political but it's also social and yeah, no, that 1619 project argued that it's actually the, the, bring the first slaves from Africa land, and that established the content. Everything has been about slavery since. That's the, the paradigm that you need to understand this country. It's not, about, it's not about immigrants fleeing oppression. It's not about colonists rebelling against a tyrannical king. It's none of that. No, 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 no. no. It's a, it was about, about slavers, and now, you know, the... Um, yeah, it would be broadly under, um, spells mm -hmm. like spelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, magic formulas. Right. So, yeah. So if you can shift the meaning of words, then you can change reality. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the common understanding of language, right. not just in our, you know, Western European culture, but pretty much all cultures is that words attach meaning to things. I mean, th that's actually Aristotle too. So <laughs> Which is interesting, because we think, oh, just words are just whatever. Uh, actually, words are pretty powerful. The words yeah. that you speak, um, what you mean by the words. Like, um, I accidentally did this on Sunday, but <laughs> I was addressing, we had a, a congregational meeting after church, just a brief one. Um, and so a few people stick by, because most people don't care about the, the, the business of the congregation. They just, they're here for church. Oh, yeah, you were here. And, um, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, right? I said, or if you prefer, cisgender heteronormative birthing people and non-birthing people, right? It's like, you know, they have no idea. Yeah, they have no idea. But the, but the point is, is that it's like, well, why do we have to use like a word like cisgender, cisgender or heteronormative? And what? Yeah, that's referring, it's this whole, it's this whole attack on the idea. It's so confusing because, because there's gender and language and then there's, then there's sex, male and female, bio, biological, gender, we might say, but it's just, we call it sex. So male, female, two sexes. And, but now they've confused that. And you say, well, no, those are genders, and they correspond to the genders in language. So there's also like a neutral gender in, in romantic languages, right? Um, and, or inflected languages, not like ours. We have male and female. We don't really have a... We have some neutral non-gender language, but anyway, but not everything is gendered language in English, whereas in other languages they typically are, which they, they hate that. Um, so then now we need all these new genders biologically, and so then we have to create all these new genders grammatically. How do these things still get some scholars telling people, or are they? Oh, it's demonic. Yeah. 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 No, then that's my point. Well, think about it, because if we go all the way back to the beginning, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I don't know where you are, but, it, you oh, know. Reading, uh, reversing and no, no, no. I mean, Genesis 1. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, as, as in terms of it being, I mean, we could call it Christian mythology. It's not mythology. Um, it is kind of the grand myth, if you, in the best sense of the use of the word myth. But unfortunately, people don't like the word myth because they think it means that that means it didn't happen or it's not real. Like, no, that's not what it really what it means. But it is like the overarching story um, for us to understand reality. 
God created the heavens and the earth and everything therein, and he set it in order, including the days and the seasons and the years, um, including the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon and the, and the earth and the sea and the plants and the seed-bearing trees and the non-seed-bearing trees and the, the whole thing, right? Flying creatures, seed-dwelling creatures, man, man, man and woman, right? So humankind, man and woman, right? And then family, procreation, and also causing the rest of creation to, to continue to bear fruit, right? Uh, that's the overarching story, right? Even, even down to like time, right? Time has been established in an order, right? And then, so then the attack is always on the created order, right? But how did God bring the created order into being? This is the key to what we're talking about. By speaking. Right, right. So he said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be, let there be, let there be. And it's, I mean, it's just like, he speaks and things come into being from nothing <laughs> to something, right? Which is, violates, uh, is it Einstein or Newton? It's probably Newton, right? Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Oh. That's Einstein. I don't remember. Is that thermodynamics? I can't remember. You're not a science person. Not <laughs> I can't remember which law it is. It's some law of, you know, matter can't be created or destroyed, which is true unless you're God. Right. right? We can only, we can only, uh, uh, destroy or build with the stuff that we have, but we can't create anything from nothing. Although that hasn't stopped people throughout all history, including uh, Christians for a long time to like turn one thing into another thing. Alchemy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, and oh, mm, to the point with this language, that's what, that's what they're seeking to do is, is to with language and then with everything else attached to it to try to transform one thing into another, meaning to turn humans into something else some distorted version of it. Um, this is, I don't know if you're big into fiction or film and whatnot, but um, you'll see this in like any of the, any of the grand narrative stories. Um, the, the one that came to mind actually was The Stand. I don't know if you read The Stand, Stephen King. Um, not the, yeah, that, that one a little less so. Actually, I'm thinking of the, the Dark Tower series. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty phenomenal. The first book is a little, it was like, I think it was the like the first major publication he did, and then he revisited it um, after he had published a few of the rest of the books and revised it so that it fit better within the narrative flow because it was kind of a standalone book. He wasn't thinking like grand narrative, and then he kept writing, and then it's like, oh, I have to go back and maybe correct a few things. <laughs> anyway, so no, it's actually actually a pretty interesting series um, because you meet in the last book. Um, these demo just straight up demonic creatures, but they're dressed in human skins. Oh, right. So they, so they're not human, but but they wear the the visage of human. Um, similar would be um, in uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Can it? Pff, I don't know. I mean, it's Stephen King. He's just being imaginative. Although I think he he there's a way that he's like touched the demonic which is creepy to me, like, it doesn't make me comfortable, like, he knows too much, right. like, are, are you actually, like, in some kind of communication uh, with that world, but um, uh, Tolkien would be another example, where he's got Saruman, and then, of course, Sauron, and the two of them, um, they have their own, they, they have different breeds of these orcs, right, and the orcs are, like, distorted versions of either humans, or uh, dwarves, not really so much dwarf, but uh, elven. There's the elf, uh, that Saruman's are, are elven hybrids, 
right? They're these human-animal creature hybrid things. Right. Yeah, right? Uh, which is kind of interesting that Tolkien saw that 70 years ago, that that was the trajectory of trans trying to transcend human to become like, like a, in that case, it'd be like a more vicious fighting creature, but it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now, now we can do it because now we have the technology. Right. Yeah, so you can actually hybridize. China does this, but obviously they don't publish it because it would be considered a crime against humanity. Um, they imprison anybody who does. If information leaks out, they'll imprison the guy. Sure, but yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. No, they do experimentation on this stuff. Um, they've cloned people and all that. It's like that's, that's this, right? So what is that? That's an attack on the created order. But, but you have to do it through language. You have to redefine things. Mm-hmm. So you have to say, well, the, no, there is actually no male and female, right? Or man and woman, if you prefer. Like, I can't tell you what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. It's like, isn't it self-evident? Yeah, well, that's the other justice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Right, and I asked, the, I mean, I asked these, pa- I was at a pastor so conference. Well, may, well, see, that's, the, and see, that's, I don't think they know. I, I don't think they would call it sorcery. I don't think they would call it, um, you know, spell, casting spells. But um, the way that the court, um, Supreme Court, has handled language as of late is very much like trying to alter reality through language, right? So we redefine terms. Like marriage doesn't mean man, male and female. It's, it's not a word that comes into being from from the Holy Scriptures, which is actually the truth, That's but it's it right, right, right. Um, it's self-evident from the Scriptures, right? And then, um, not all cultures had had they had things that were like marriages, um, but like the monogamous definition of marriage from it comes out of mostly, actually, even less the Old Testament and the New Testament in particular, right? So since the first century, Jesus, <laughs> yeah, you, you know. Um, don't you know that in the beginning God created um, male and female and he said that the um, man separate from his mother and father and be joined to his wife and the two would become yeah, one flesh. Yeah, you just quote, no, Jesus quotes it. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Oh, oh, but as far as monogamy goes, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, Paul's very, very explicit about it. Okay. Right. Jesus is still a little bit of implication, but um, it like his interaction with the woman who had had seven husbands is an example of that, or the woman caught in adultery is another example, right. where he refers to her sexual relations with these men as having been marriages, sometimes sequential and sometimes ser- you know at the same time. Yeah, right. And that and then that bugs people because they're like, well, wait a minute, Moses said we could get divorces and all this kind of stuff, and he's like, that's just because you you guys were causing all sorts of problems and making it hard for him, and so he just capitulated to you. That's what Jesus says. Oh wow, really? No, he says because of the hardness of your heart. It's, that's what he means. Yeah, yeah. So, so they hadn't been... So the point is, is that, uh, well, we live in a fallen world, right? And so things are never as they should be, but that doesn't mean that we don't know. And he hasn't taught us as to here is what, what ought to be, but is not because of sin, right? And this is how he's remaking all things towards that goal, towards that aim, right? So this is all has to do with the Word of God, I guess. I don't know. We got a little bit off track, but that's okay. Because um, I wanted, I, what did I want to talk about? Oh, I was going to show you Hebrews 1. All right, so Hebrews 1. To the point of God's word. And that's Paul, right? That's the beginning. Ha! <laughs> well, that's, uh, I just spent a whole day studying Hebrews with... Uh, I think I just need to study the 
Well, it, do, it doesn't have an author ascribed to it, so it's kind of... Oh, it no, it's unique that way. Oh. Yeah, so then, um, because of that, it's been disputed as to whether, like, it should be included in Scripture. Mm -mm. No, it's what's... We have other definitions. I don't think we talked about this last week. Um, but we have... I'm going to use the technical terms. You're a smart person. You can understand these things. So there's... I feel like I... Maybe I did write this down. Homo legomena. There we go. And then there's anti legomena. And then these are just ways to we're terms we use to categorize things. But it's not in the scripture. All right. And then there's uh, how do you spell pseudo? Pseudo. Yeah. Pigrapha. Okay. Uh, there's probably something else in there. Anti legomena. Yeah. That those are those are false writings. Pseudo. They're fake. So um, you know the gospel according to Thomas. I'm like Thomas didn't write a gospel. So it's ascribed to Thomas, but. If you get too cold, let me know. But it was it was boiling in here. Okay, uh, homologamina means that the that the church universal. Uh, so east and west, that they 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 all received that book or that writing. They agreed homo meaning together or the same. They spoke together. They spoke the same. So uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all received received by the whole church, okay. east and west. There was no dispute as to their authenticity. Um, even by the like late first century, I would argue, but uh, definitely in writing, we know by the middle of the second century, not disputed. All right. Anti-legomena are books that are spoken against. So not all the church received them as canon, as part of the Bible. And then there's negotiation as to like, well, we'll still include them, but we're going to make this distinction. All right. James is a good example of that. The epistle of James. So the, the Eastern Church didn't receive the Epistle of James as authentic. The Western Church didn't receive the Epistle of Hebrews. They called it the Epistle of Hebrews. It's not an epistle. That's part of the problem with why people didn't understand what it is. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a letter. That's what an epistle is. It's a letter. Yeah, it's not a letter. It's a sermon. So, But the East received Hebrews. The West did not. And so then there was a negotiation. And they said, all right, we'll include both Hebrews and James, recognizing that we're... We don't actually agree as to whether or not it should be there. Um, and then, so because it has that kind of second-class status, doesn't mean it's not inspired by God, and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, it's, and Revelation is in this category, so is Jude. Yeah. Um, not universally received. Uh, Revelation, there just weren't that many copies of it. So then there was some dispute. If it wasn't being shared with, with autograph, meaning with... Yeah, that's my argument. Yeah, I mean, I, Revelation, I think, well, I mean, Revelation is, um, no, that's definitively the Apostle John. I would argue the Gospel according to John is also the same John, but there's actually a dispute about that. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, there's other categories too, but th these are three basic ones that understand, like, so these are ones that the church universally agreed are authentic, you know, eyewitness testimony, you know, or, or the notations of those who interviewed eyewitnesses, mm -hmm. right? And then antilogomena, not so sure, don't know the provenance of these, right? Can't definitively say, uh, there's some question. Um, so meaning they, they have to defer to these books in doctrine, especially what we, what we believe. 
And then pseudopigrapha are, are excluded. We don't include those. There's actually probably another one. I can't remember. There's probably another category. But that helps. So Hebrews, um, it, just look at how it starts, though. Because um, I think it's really beautiful. And uh, this will help you understand the scriptures as a whole. I think it's a good, probably entree into that. God, who at various times and in various ways, uh, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last, uh, that's the wrong translation, um, has in this, this last, no, I got to get the tense right here. Hold on. Sometimes translations are weird. They don't get it quite right. Anyway, we'll just read what it says. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the worlds. So that's already kind of mind-blowing right there. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. So there's the word not only made all things, but also continues to preserve all things. Right? God, by speaking. When he had himself purged our sins, or forgiven, if you like, um, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so you can hear the creed there, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. All right, so there's all sorts of theological ideas going on there, but the key is here, you know, who, <laughs> how has God actually spoken to us? Right, and that this was to your question, I think, last week. God, who at various times in various ways, right? So sometimes um, He speaks immediately, like with Moses in the burning bush. Right. Well, even that's not immediate; that's through the bush, right? right. Or um, on the in the in the cloud on the mountain, right? right? Um, but then, yes, but then there's other ways, right? You have the three men that come to visit Abraham, right? And the one speaks, which you know, suggests a lot there. Um, and then I think when Abraham brought Isaac to be sacrificed, and then there was the angel. Uh huh, yeah, yeah. So a third person, that's right, the plural. Third person plural? I think it's plural. Maybe it isn't. Well, I mean, creation has that let us make man in our image, right? And you have that plural, that's weird, in Genesis, right? And people just say, oh, it's the royal we. Yeah. You know, like a king or queen would say. Um, maybe, I mean, that's actually not, 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 that's a fair argument. But then you have to deal with the one in, in the flood, where you have the plural at the flood. Where it says, we're going to go, let us go down and confuse their, oh, that's with the, not just the flood, also Tower of Babel. Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, but that's not the point here. The point would be, yeah, you have, you have God speaks, um, through intermediaries, he's got he's through the bush, through the cloud, through the the pillar of fire, through Moses. But who spoke to Moses? But Moses ends up being the one who speaks um, through prophets. But how he speaks to the prophets is not immediate. Sometimes visions, right. sometimes dreams, right. which are different. Like visions, like you're not asleep, but you see things. Whereas a, a dream is, you know, in the, in the night, right? When you're asleep. So that's different. Um, but there also does seem to, there's the, the, the especially this case, the angel of the Lord spoke. Right now, well, who, it, with that article, the, like, well, who is the angel of the Lord, right? Who is the messenger? 
who's the one that speaks. Um, in our argument, um, or at least mine, I, most, I think, if not all of our church agrees, um, that usually that when that term is used, it's referring to the second person, Jesus Christ. But before he's made flesh. Is that consistent with the Lutheran Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and most of the Westernese too. Most would agree. Um, but most people haven't heard that, which is kind of weird, that I encounter. It's like, did that not just not get taught? Or that... Well, I mean, it's always Jesus speaking is the point. Right, which is the point that's being made here. Whether he's speaking through a donkey, you know, oh, okay. to Balaam, right? Okay. Whether he's speaking through the cloud, whether he's speaking through the fire. If it's the voice of God, if it's the word of God, it's actually, it's Jesus. Okay. The Father speaks Jesus to you. You don't encounter the Father except through Jesus. You can't even know the Father except through Jesus. That's Jesus' own point in John 14, which we're here tonight. Now, so... So you have here, he's spoken many, many and various, many times and in various ways. And you can just, I mean, there's, it's, there's not an exhaustive list here. Oh, he writes on the wall. Many, many, tekel, something or other, Ipsarian. Yeah, that's with uh, one of the kings, right? Um, but he has, so here's the point, things have changed, right? So there's, there's a shift that happens with the New Testament. Now he has spoken to us by his son, right? Now, the argument, of course, is that he has always been speaking to us by the Son, but now in the person of, of the Son, whose name is, well, he doesn't tell us yet, does he? He doesn't even tell us here at the end. He, by an excellent, more excellent name than they, but he hasn't told us the name yet. Right, so actually... Well, then that word name, too, it doesn't necessarily mean... Well, think of Moses. Moses asks, who should I tell the people sent me? Right, and the name is very important. Right, so actually, the the this the punctuation not in the Greek. This there's no period. There's been no periods yet, actually, in Hebrew. There, there's no sense that this it keeps going. So then he starts quoting some psalms. For which to which of the angels did you ever say, "You are my son today; I have begotten you"? That's Psalm one ten. Or I will be to him a father, and he shall be a meet to me a son. And then. He again, see, we're still talking about this guy who we don't know his name yet. He's the son, but we don't know his name, right? Keeps going, keeps going. Angels, talks about more angels, and then again to the son, another one. And then again, referring to the son, right? And then it'll say, uh, are they not all ministering? The this, this sentence hasn't ended yet. <laughs> Therefore, well, we must not give way, and it'll get to it here. Um, to the Lord confirmed him, those bear witness. Uh, and then we have God, and then to his own will. Therefore he spoke. And then we have another a long quote here. And there it is. Finally, chapter 2, verse 9, we finally get to what the setup, which is, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Right? That's his incarnation. Takes on human flesh. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Yeah, and then bring us. So, but the, the point was, is actually about scripture, right? Back here at the beginning, right? That he has spoken to us by his son. So you hear the voice of Jesus, you hear the voice that made all things, the voice that preserves all things, right? That makes out of nothing. <laughs> um, that inspired the scriptures by the, by the spirit. And there's lots of spirit language in here too, but we, that deals with this. Was there another one in there? 
who's appointed heir, and then he does inherit. He inherits the kingdom prepared. Jesus says, "Prepare the kingdom inherited or um, prepared for me by the Father." Right? Um, Through whom there it is. Also, he made the worlds. It's just kind of a fun statement because that's again it begs the question, right? There's even a note here. There's a little two which tells us, uh, yeah, that's not a great translation. Literally, the Greek is ionus, meaning eons. He created all the ages. Yeah, time and everything within. Right. Who, and then it tells us about his person. But again, again, notice the focus here. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So this is how God wants to be known is what the, the preacher is saying. He wants to be known by Jesus. He's the express image of, of God. Um, and upholding all things, again, by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right. So, uh, And now he's still speaking is the point, which you have to keep going for that, which is just an incredible thought, right? To say that the one who made all things and preserves all things is still speaking um, to us through his word. Um, and what the Hebrews is a fun book. I just studied this this morning. This is the only reason why I'm using this as our, it's fresh in my mind. Um, is that he quotes Psalms all over the place. He, he quotes, he has the longest quote in the Bible from any other, from any book in the Bible, which is a quote from Jeremiah 31. This is long quote. Um, I don't remember what chapter that's in chapter seven, maybe, um, and then he also has in mind, I think, Deuteronomy uh, 31 as well, the end of Deuteronomy. Is this where it is? Chapter 7. You would know if it's a long quote because you'll see it all. Oh, there it is right there. It's all in italics. Yeah, this is chapter 8. Yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of theology here. Now, so the point is, um, whatever we talk about here... <laughs> Uh, this is this is on you as, as much it's on me first and then you have to hold, keep me in check is that you know you're supposed to ask where is this written that oh, okay. that's always the question like well why do we do this and then you're then the, the question is well is it is it written where is it written right. like like or why do we say this where is that written right, right. um and it, and this is unique because um you had that roman background right from your kid a little bit when you're a kid, but you're familiar with that. Um, but a lot, but a lot of, um, yeah, but no, but this is the nature of the word, right? So we have, um, so we have, we have the Trinity, uh, and then for us, they make themselves known to us by speaking through the word, and then that, and then that uh, constitutes the church, all right? Pretty straightforward. So God speaks, and it brings into being the church and everything with it, right? The preaching of the word, the absolution, you know, deliverance of forgiveness of sins in Jesus through the gifts, all that, right? Not for Rome. <laughs> this is why this is important. You have got God, right? And then you have the church. He creates the church. And then the church delivers the word, all right? Now, see, makes, this makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, except, well, we would actually say the word actually institutes the church. Jesus speaks right. and the church comes into being. Right. They would say, no, the church exists. And then that, 
brings delivers the word to people and the word is only efficacious if it's delivered by the church right and then of course you have here the pope and all the canons and councils and decrees of the church right and then so who is making the word effective the church is now they say that god gives us the church but they do they make the word effective this is not that different than like an evangelical, a gen, you know, American kind of generic Christian, non-denom or whatever. They will say, well, God, they would say, God gives me, you know, um, belief. And then the belief confirms, the, gives me the word, right? And they might say the Holy Spirit here. <laughs> but so, so they, they may not be as big on like the church as an institution, but they, they are big on like the Bible told, or, or, no, it's what I believe. And by believe, they usually don't actually mean like what I think. They mean what I feel. Right. So if I feel it's true, then it's true. Here is if the church says it's true, then it's true. Right? For us, it's like, well, scriptures. And then that tells us what should be and what ought to be here. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it just, I, it's just a simple question. It's like, they, they don't have, they have an immediate... They have this immediate sense, both Rome and, you know, a more evangelical. They have this just sense of like things just come from nowhere rather than God speaks and they come into being, which is creation. Right. And then what we just saw in Hebrews, too, with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is for, for Lutherans. We would say this is actually a, not only is it, you know, what the testimony of the scriptures give, but it's also a source of confidence. Because how can you be confident that the church is telling you the truth? Well, they would say because we have the word. Or, right, because they also have tradition. They're saying the word is a tradition, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh, that's right. They, they, well, they put the word in tradition, parallel. So, so the tradition, um, you might just say interpretation. Yeah, right. So our interpretation is the authentic. The Lutherans have the wrong interpretation, right? Um, I was just reading that uh, yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't know his take on that. That'd be interesting. So his take is uh, basically the main thing is uh, discerning the body. That, yeah. That, that oh, with First Corinthians. Yeah, Corinthians. Yeah. And uh, what Michael Heiser is saying is when he's talking about discerning the body mm -hmm. before you have the you know the Last Supper right. the memorial thing, Paul was talking about being respectful for the body of the church, mm -hmm. being respectful for the people in the church. Yeah. Right. Well, we and we started to talk about this, and we need to get to this conversation for you and your family in regards to the Lord's Supper, because that understanding is is commensurate to what we teach, which is that when he says discern the body, he is referring to to his body and blood in the sacrament, but he's also because of the tense, and this is Heiser's point, if I remember what he said. Now I do remember. I listened to this. Um, that is plural. You plural. You plural. You all discern the body. It's referring to the plural body, meaning the body of Christ, as a ch the church, not the sacramental body, but the the Eucharistic body, the, the assembly of the believers, right? And so that um, that's been our our teaching, the whole history of the Lutheran Church, is you don't you don't receive Christ's body and blood where you don't agree with the body in doctrine. Right. right. So this is my church. This is my pastor. Yes. 
this is what I believe. I believe what they believe. This is the place then I join in Eucharistic fellowship, meaning in the, in the sacrament of the, of the supper. Right. Now, that not every church, I mean, Rome does, East does. Obviously, local parishes, like one Roman parish, might not actually practice what their church teaches, just like Lutherans don't consistently practice what we believe. <laughs> um, same thing in Rome, and same with like the Orthodox in the East. But um, our church bodies all teach that, is that you don't receive the sacrament where you don't agree in doctrine. And, we're, and, and, then, and the practical reality is then, then there has to be a conversation to say, do you believe what we believe? And that before you receive the sacrament, because Paul says you can receive it to your hurt and harm if you don't discern the body. Right. Yeah, if you don't recognize the church. Right. Well, and so Heiser's non-denom. So he, but he's in a church that actually has something like the Lord's Supper. I don't know. I don't know if he would exactly say it that way. Um, Jesus doesn't say, ask for forgiveness before you're, mm-hmm. or how, I don't know, do this in remembrance of me. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which means do it the way that I instructed you to do it. To remember me, it means do it. it. It's just it's unfortunate. We talked about this. Don't change the words. I think we talked about this. Like with translations, we just kind of we just kind of stick with it. Like especially things like the Lord's Prayer. You don't change the Apostles' oh, yeah, Creed because it's just going to confuse people. That's one of those where it's like when you like in my case, I've heard it the same way my whole life. If I change those words it would bring into question um, the confidence of the people that i'm still speaking what jesus spoke even though it's a translation and it's not exactly accurate (laughs) it's okay um but so that but that's really a good uh, illustration of what we're talking about here which is what makes us confident that we're a part of the church that we've what we're receiving is what christ has instituted when he Mm -hmm. that when the pastor speaks it's as if our dear Lord Jesus himself is speaking, is it's dependent upon the word, namely uh, what the word has given, or you can use a technical term, instituted. So this, this, we were talking about spiritual, not religious. I think you mentioned you have friends that say that kind of thing, or, you know, like I can be yeah, a Christian without going to church, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, what I realized was the reason why people say that, I'm not until they say like, well, I'm yeah. here, I believe in God, but I'm not sure. Right. Well, they have bad experience, or from a lot of the traditions right. of the church, not the The problem is, is to say, um, I can be a Christian and specific. I can be a Christian and not be a part of a of a Christian congregation, mm-hmm. is actually to go against Jesus' own word. Mm-hmm. So, how can you be a Christian if you d- disagree with Jesus? Right. I mean that. That's where the challenge comes in. Yeah, he says. Well, uh, and, and by the way, we also have two tiers of authority within the word. So there's Jesus' word when he speaks directly, but there's also the prophets and there's the apostles mm-hmm. and the evangelists. Um, but we we don't we actually don't distinguish. We distinguish between their offices, but we don't distinguish in the in the um, the force of their words. So if the apostle speaks, he's speaking with the authority of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so sometimes I'll, I'll get confused and I'll say, Jesus said, but I'm actually, that's the apostle spoke. <laughs> It'll be written by Paul or Peter or John or somebody. Right. All right. So, um, um, so in this case, you know, well, actually you could go to Hebrews again. Um, it's Hebrews 
I think it's in Hebrews 4 maybe. You know, do not forsake the gathering together um, as some have done, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the word for fellowship, you've heard that word, the fellowship. Paul taught, uses that word extensively. The Greek word actually means the coming together of people together, <laughs> right? Ecclesia is, is a gathering of people in person, right? This, we were talking about this with some pastors. It's like there's no concept in the Bible at all that you could have an assembly virtually or that you could share a meal together over the phone, over the internet. This is pretty clear in that sounds like they get to be together with others. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Um, but, that, but, but there's plenty of historic precedent to it. God gathers his people together mm -hmm. to receive his word and, and the gifts that he's instituted. And those gifts change, right? The Spirit delivers different gifts and within the tabernacle and the temple. Mm -hmm. And then when, those, when their time comes to a close with Jesus, because he's the, now the tabernacle not made with hands, right? The word is dwells among us. I don't know if you know this. Jesus assumes into himself the temple. He becomes the temple oh, for us. Yeah. 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 Um, now Jesus institutes within that temple. He gives the same, he gives the same gifts, but through different means now through baptism, Lord's supper, right? It's the same gifts that the old Testament people received, but through other means through the sacrifices of bulls and goats, through the sprinkling of water by the priest, by the by the waving of the, the bread loaves. I mean, it's also, some of the stuff is kind of sounds a little weird, but yeah. right. But they, but they had the same promises attached to them of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Yeah. Um, but in the case of the old Testament, if you cut yourself off, and this is true of the new Testament too, if you cut yourself off from the gathered community, uh -huh. you've cut yourself off from the means of, of life. Uh, through the whole, all the prophets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like when they go after false gods, that's how God refers to it. You've cut yourself off. Paul actually says it'd be better. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's just like, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, not perfect sense, but it does make sense. But it's, but it, well, yeah, you're stronger together. But like, well, how can you call it the body of Christ if one, of, if one or more of the members is not actually joined? It's, it's, it, what, what's happened is that I think in the minds of people, they've abstracted what was a concrete reality, right? They've turned it into this like spiritual or yeah. metaphorical kind of thing. Like I have my, I, ha I maintain a membership at a concrete, meaning it's in their computer, it's in their records. You know, I was baptized and I did it or I did, you know, I got married there or something like that. Right. And so that means I'm joined to that congregation. Wow. Whereas, um, well, frankly, God's people misunderstood this, right? After um, Egypt, when they're being brought to the promised land. And so God tells Moses, go on to Sinai, right? Mount Sinai. And I'm going to give you these, these 10 words to reconfigure people back into that faith relationship that they had lost, which is why they were in exile in Egypt because <laughs> they forgot God, <laughs> right? That's why he made, that's why he, they were there. Same thing happens with Babylon later on, right? They go into exile because they, they go after other gods and they forget him and his word, namely forget his word, right? So then uh, because of their trespasses, because of their sins, Moses says, or God delivers by Moses those 10 commands. And the first three, which um, we're not going to talk about yet, but we'll get to it. Um, they reorient people back into that faith relationship, which has, right, that you call upon no other name. That's the second commandment. First one, you have no other gods, whether graven images or otherwise, right? If you're love and trust in no one but God, 
Holy Father, Son, and Spirit now mm-hmm. revealed. Um, second, that you don't call on other names, right? And that's, you're thinking of prayer in particular there, right? And then the third is that, is that you remember the day that God has set aside for the hearing of his word, mm-hmm. right? And for them, it was a day. Now in the resurrection, it's every day they set aside for the hearing of God's word. Jesus reconfigures it even further. So actually, it was never rele- relegated. I gave you a day of rest so that you could set aside your hard labor, you know, sunrise to sunset. And now, and plus, you have to remember too, by the time of the New Testament, you, a lot, small gatherings of, of people, as long as you had at least one patron there, could actually have scriptures. They could, be, they could pay to have them copied. I mean, my, like a gospel might cost, you know, a few, in today's dollars, a few thousand dollars, right? But if you could have 20 or 30, and if you had a patron that had a home that, where you could gather, right, a wealthier member of the community, um, which is what happened, that's the records, they would have copies you know, of different, different books initially, and then eventually a canon and a collection. Um, as, as that got, for the purpose of sharing the scriptures, they, they, they created a whole, I, I guess, industry for copying the scriptures. This is why the New, the New Testament in particular is so well attested to in, in actual physical copies throughout the whole, the whole you know, from the first century onward. And, and in other languages too, translated. You know. There's so many copies compared to anything else um, of that era where we only have you know, 10 or 15 copies that are still remaining. You know, then you get to the New Testament, you have thousands of copies of some of these letters within the first hundred years of, the, of, the, uh, you know, of Jesus' death. And, re- and resurrection ascension. Um, so what were we talking about? We're talking about, oh, the church, right. And this is what, this is the other thing I wanted to do today. So we actually led right into it, um, which is the, the constitution of the church. And what does Jesus give the church to be and to do? Um, we're going to do it kind of backwards. So instead of saying, here's um, Here are the explicit words for like each of the things, which the catechism does, you know, it says, well, where is this written? That's always the second question. The first question is, what does this mean? Right? So like, for example, with the sacrament of the altar, what is the sacrament of the altar? The second question is, where is this written? Uh-huh. Remember, that was the question I said you have to ask, right? Like, why do you make the sign of the cross? Where is this written? It's not. <laughs> right? The sign, the, the sign of the cross is not, it's not given as a, like, a thing that Christians either do or don't do which means it's within Christian freedom. We can use it if we want. We don't have to use it. You can make the sign of the cross. You don't have to. I do. I encourage people to. But there's actually... Oh, you mean... Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but like preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, mm, that's not optional. Paul, Paul explicitly says that's what we preach. You read the book of Acts. That's the only thing they preach. There's like 15 sermons in the book of Acts. I don't know. I'm guessing. Maybe there's 12. 12 probably makes more sense. That sounds like a nice number, right? Every sermon, it's always at Jesus whom you crucified, you know, or something to that effect, right? That's the central theme. For the forgiveness of sins, believe, repent, be baptized. Always. Every sermon, right? Which is um, why the book of Acts is written. Let's say, here's the testimony. Well, well let's go back to the beginning because we'll just hear what Luke has to say. Luke wrote Acts, by the way. Um, Look at how he starts the book. He tells us why he writes it. I have to go back a little ways, right? In the former account I made, O Theophilus, we don't know who Theophilus is. It just means lover of God. So could be anybody. could be you. In the former account I made, the gospel according to Luke, that's what he's referring to, 
of all that Jesus began to both do and teach, which is, which is just brilliant. Oh, so the gospel is the beginning of his doing. Yeah. Oh, which then implies that he's still doing things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, until the day in which he was taken up, that's Ascension Day coming up here pretty soon, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, he had told the apostles what to do. He had given them marching orders. would be a good way to translate that, like colloquially. Right? Because he says, I'm sending you. Right? And then he says, do this. Go and make disciple, or go disciple making by baptizing and teaching them. All things have, right? Uh-huh. For example. Um, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. There's that word. <laughs> we talked about that last week, didn't we? Infallible? Yeah. Right. So remember, this is Luke telling us that the gospel was written for that purpose as proof of his resurrection. Not most suffering and death too, of course. Uh, Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, which is another, that's an expression that Jesus uses for the church. The church is the kingdom of God. Some people think of it as like heaven, not by Jesus. For him, the kingdom of God, because he'll even say the kingdom of God is is now amongst you. So wherever Jesus is, he's the king, right? Wherever the king is, is the is the kingdom. And Jesus, that's how Jesus presents it. So if you're with Jesus, you're in the kingdom. All right. All right, yeah. So but but that statement in there is pretty cool because you'll see how this plays out in a second here. Um whom the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, right? And we talked about it. You know, go and make disciples, baptize, teach everything that I have commanded you, everything I've spoken to you. Mm-hmm. Command he doesn't mean like do this, don't do that. He means all the words I've spoken. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's actually um, catechized. It's didache. It's the same word we're using here. It's the name of this book. Um, I'm trying to think of others. Well, it's the catechism, right? Which just quotes and says, here's where it's written. And then you'll see how this plays out. Because now what's going to happen? Uh, we're going to have the, the institution of the church. Well, the church has already been instituted by Jesus, but it hasn't yet been, what do you want to say, Jesus said, here's what the church is, and here's how it comes into being, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, uh, how would we say that? What would be the, I'm trying to think of a non-technical way of saying that. It'd be like saying, um, hmm, you know, you're going to have a child, and they're going to be born, but that hasn't yet happened yet. <laughs> right? But you know it's going to happen, you're just waiting for it to happen, because you have God's word of promise, right? Yeah, yeah, if you have that word of promise. All right, so here, Jesus has promised that the church will come to being, but he says, wait in Jerusalem until you, are, uh, until you receive the promise of my Father and you are endued with power from on high. This is all, those are languages for the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father, which he had promised earlier in John, the gift of the Holy Spirit, or the power endued from on high, right? So they're going to be wrapped up in the Spirit who's going to equip them to do the work that they need to do, right? So that's what they're doing. They're assembled together. Because uh, he told them not to depart from Jerusalem, which disputes the end of John's gospel because they go up fishing in Galilee. But there's a little inconsistency there, but that's okay. Um, but wait for the promise of the Father. Oh, I just said that. Which, I, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Hmm. All right, so water and spirit together. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you... All right, and so then he tells the ascension again. Oh, but, but actually the telling of the ascension here in Acts is important. 
All right, so you see where it's in red? Um, Jesus says, it's not, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. And the word there is not power. This is really important. Again, translators. Actually, it is power. Sorry. Dunamis, like dynamite. Yeah, sometimes they mistranslate it. This time they got it right. All right. They translate two words as power and one is not. The other, anyway, it doesn't matter. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, marching orders, right? This is what this is going to be the task to bear witness to Jesus, right? But only, again, having received the Holy Spirit through baptism, right? And then he ascends into heaven and they're like, what's going on? Then they go back to... Oh, yeah, we're getting there. Right. Right. So then they're like, they're waiting and they've got the women. And all the disciples are gathered. And of course, they're missing a disciple. So then they have to fill in the blank. So they add another disciple because why wouldn't you? To replace Judas. Uh, except Jesus didn't tell them to. <laughs> Which is just fun because then you end up with 13 disciples or apostles because then he, Jesus picks Paul, goes and adds Paul to the mix. Oh, right. So they want it to be perfect 12. And then he's like, no, I'm going to give you another well, one too. Yeah, right, so they replace him with a guy named Matthias. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just skipping over that right here. So then, when the day of Pentecost had, and that's a great way to translate it, fully come, you know, it's like when the, it's like when the fruit is ripe. Right? Yeah, when it's the right time. Right. Um, the day of Pentecost was the right time for this to happen. That's kind of what, what Luke's saying. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came uh, a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And we've talked about, did we talk about the spirit? The word for spirit, Hebrew, um, is also the same word for breath and it's the same word for wind. So Jesus talks about the wind blowing when and where it wills, but you don't know the sound of it, where it comes from, where it goes. So, so it will be with the Holy Spirit. So he, he puts wind and spirit together too, but also connected to breath. We've got, when Jesus breathes on the disciples, he gives them life. Yeah. Anyway, so now the, the mighty rushy wind, and you're like, oh, that's Holy Spirit time, right? It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and then there appeared to them divided tongues of, of fire, uh, and one sat upon each of them. Um, I like to say some Reformation art does this. Um, not many other people do this. Is that they're tongues of fire, and so they come out of their mouth. They're usually pictured on their head. Yeah, because right, right. yeah, it says it sat upon each one of them. Um, I don't even know what word that is. I've never actually done the, yeah, right, right. the work. Uh, Akethis, uh, which is, can mean, so again, we go look at like other usage, right. right? So like Herodotus, to make, to sit down, to seat, to seat or to place. But uh, according to, uh, yeah, Xenophon, it's like to set guard or to set, to set place, up. right? To set up, to put into a certain condition according to Xenophon and Plato, right? So, so there's, I mean, there's a kind of a range of meaning, but yeah, okay, fine. It sits on top of them, but it's a tongue, right? And what are tongues for? Speaking. That's the point, right? And then they were all, as Jesus promised, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, meaning other languages. <laughs> there's Pentecostals. I'd say that this was some kind of like gibberish, but it doesn't even make sense in the text because then it does, right? As the Spirit gave them utterance because then we find out that there are all sorts of people here that have come from every nation under heaven, meaning they've come speaking. They're not all 
yeah, they speak other languages, right? And then they came together, and they, everyone heard them speak in his own language. This is why the Pentecostals are weird, because they don't actually read their Bible. Because it just tells you right there. They spoke in other, in other tongues, meaning they spoke in other people's languages. It tells you just like three verses later. So all these people are gathered for Pentecost. They're Jews. Some of them have converted to Judaism. Some of them are Jewish faith and ancestry, but not Jewish speaking. Maybe Aramaic, maybe Greek. A lot of Greek-speaking Jews, actually. Mm-hmm. Some Latin, actually, because there's some from Rome. That maybe, although Aramaic was very common in the Roman Empire at this point, Latin was like the official language, but Aramaic was the one that you would speak throughout. Is it just like the language, or they? No, it's more than that because you'll see they were amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, "Look, not uh, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? You know, which is, they spoke some kind of like they're like from Kentucky. You, know, like you can barely understand them <laughs> if you if you're from Jerusalem." Right? How is it that we all hear in our own language in which we were born, right? And then they tell you where they're from, all over the place. Like, basically all the way from Rome all the way to the far east part of the empire. Um, but look, they tell you right there, right there. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, what? The wonderful works of God. Yeah. Right? So they're telling... The apostles were able to spread the... Miraculously. Right. 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 Yeah, I mean, which is a unique spiritual gift at this point. I mean, um, some people have a gift for languages and other people don't. But this is like, no, they all they were able to communicate to all these different people from all over the place. right? And so then they ask, um, and they, they make fun of Peter because, or they make fun of him because they say they're, there's no way they could do this unless they're drunk. But usually people get drunk, and it's such a funny thing to say. Maybe if you can't understand them, it doesn't mean there's... They might revert to another language, but it's not one you understand. <laughs> and Peter then picks up right on it and says, um, we'll hear this in a few weeks, right? We're not drunk as you suppose because it's only the third hour of the day, meaning it's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we haven't even had time to get drunk yet. <laughs> it's just kind of a, you know, I, I like to laugh sometimes when I think the Bible is trying to be funny. Um, all right, so anyway, he preaches his long, it's not a long sermon. This is only a summary of it. So we'll skip through the sermon because we'll hear that in church. Um, but, but at the end, here's the key. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because he just actually said, oh, I told you. There it is. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, you, And that's the end of the sermon. And they're like, Wait a minute, we crucified him. Because they were there, they've been there since Passover. They're also there. Yeah, they stay, you stay all the way from the Feast of Tabernacles all the way through to the Feast of Pentecost or Sukkoth. Yeah, and you camp out on the hills outside of Jerusalem. Uh, that's why they called it the Feast of Tabernacles. Like they were in Exodus. Not everybody, but you would do this at least once in your lifetime. You would make that pilgrimage and do that camp out for those 50 days. Yeah. Anyway, so they, they've been convicted cut to the heart, right? And Peter says, or they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then he says, look at this, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Jesus promised back in Luke and Matthew and John in the Gospels. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Right, so you hear, I mean, right here, Peter is telling us this is 
This is how, and he's really the chief of the apostles, how they understand what Jesus has commissioned them to do. It's to go out into the nations. They don't do it. They have to, God has to drive them out of Jerusalem. They're, you can read uh, later on in Acts. <laughs> Peter does, or excuse me, Paul does. Peter only ends up doing it reluctantly. Actually, I don't even know. If, yeah, Peter ends up in Rome eventually, according to legend. But uh, yeah, he has to drive them out of Jerusalem because they're not going to all nations, even oh, though that's right. what he told them to do. And, and Peter even says it's for everybody. But anyway, and so preach Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, right? Baptize in Jesus' name, that whereby the, those baptized receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And who is it for? It's for you, it's for your children. And the, the word for children there is probably fun, so we can look that up. There's different words for children. This is the technon, technon. these are the, the, uh, the little ones. You know, the beloved children, the little, the little, the little. Not the babies, not the breath face, the infants, but children. Those, so it's for everybody, in other words. To all are afar off, so no, there's no like ethnic division, there's no geographic, none of that. As, and, it, and who's going to do the work? The Lord our God will call them. Hmm? He brings them into the, the fellowship through baptism, through the preaching of his word, right? Just like Peter just did here at Pentecost. And then, of course, as many, or with many other words, he continued to preach to them, exhorted them. Uh, and they, those who gladly received his word, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then it continued. And then here's the key. This is what I wanted to point out to you, um, to the question. But was was what I intended to talk to you about which is interesting. You asked the question that led me to what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I give, maybe that's the Holy Spirit too. Um, look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. Right, we're going to write down what they did. Because again, this is the church right here. Instituted by God's word. Uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's just a fancy word for teaching, Right? but specifically teaching according to the scriptures. Um, the fellowship, we talked a little bit about that already. Right, but that's the gathering together. The word is koinonia. It's the gathering together of people to receive the doctrine, right? The fellowship, uh, the breaking of the bread, which Luke uses throughout the gospel, both his gospel, but especially in the book of Acts for the Lord's Supper. It's just a, it's his like, I don't know, nickname, I guess you might say. The breaking of the bread. He's referring to the supper instituted. You'll see that later on in the book of Acts if you read ahead. Um, and the prayers. All right. And by prayers, he doesn't just mean like our father, although that's included. He means the whole liturgical life of the, of the church. The word there for prayer is like the prayers of the priest, the prayers of the people, the, the, the singing, the hymns, the whole thing, right? Right. So we would say liturgy, actually, there, I think. And then, look what else happens here. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All right. So then, um, and that's uniquely given to the apostolic church, we would argue. And then, all who believed were together... And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So you have charity. I like to use the word charity. I know it's not a very popular word these days. But charity is just the Latin word for, for love. Right? 
Okay. Um, and That's all. What the, uh, Yeah, there, no, there are there are religious rights that are focused on acts of charity, right, right. But the, but you could, I mean, I like the word charity because it's it's you might say it's love in action, right. So this is like taking care of those in need, right. It's that kind of love, right. Um, doctrine offering, and then you have offering supporting. They gather together. Oh, they share all things in common, right. And then they take care of their the needs, right. So they take care of each other. I'm missing one thing. I usually have seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, we just didn't scroll far enough. Um, and then you have, you have the, um, the praise of God. Actually, we should put the sacraments because we already had sacrament. That's what I'm missing. <laughs> sacrament. We have baptism and sacrament of baptism. That's the one I'm forgetting because we've already dealt with that. That was in, in the whole believe and be baptized and you'll be saved, right? Right, so this is Lord's Supper. So, I mean, this is the life of the church. It's right there. You've got the teaching, the gathering together to receive Christ's body and blood, to pray, to sing, and, and to offer, to take care of those in need, whether in, within the fellowship or outside, even, right? Right, to take care of the, but take care of the, the, the inside work of the church, to sort of preserve the congregation, right, through offering. Um, of course, baptism brings you into that. So it, I don't have it quite in the best order. But people say, well, then where did the church come from? I'm like, well, the work of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is <laughs> right there, right? So we just take it straight out of, out of God's word. So that, I, that actually leads us pretty well. If you look at that first chapter, you can. But that'll lead us right into talking about the liturgy because then you'll see um, what we're talking about in terms of um, where is this written? Because... What we do in there. Yeah. Yeah, why we say what we say, why you say what I, your response is, like all of that we have to ask, like, why do we do that? Where, where is that given by God explicitly or implicitly in his word? What do we, right, so we need to, otherwise it's just like, we don't just do the things we do because it's what we've been given, although that's true, it has been given to us, it's been handed down to us, right? But my argument, and I think the argument of our church is it's handed down, it's a reflection of the, the church that, that God the Holy Spirit insti- or, um, brought into being according to Christ's institution from the beginning. Okay. So we don't do anything outside of what God's word has actually already given and created and is still creating and mm-hmm. preserving. So there you go. Why? Why? Yeah, no, that's fun. Right. Just try to just go where you, where you want to go. We talk about what we need to talk about. This is what we do. Whoever's here, I don't, I guess Maureen's foot needed more work, so. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.